This week we're talking about disasters, and I don't just mean the monster snowstorm hitting the Northeast right now. We're talking disasters that take out your entire infrastructure. We're getting back to basics on perhaps the most important, most often neglected aspect of backup preparedness, your disaster recovery plan. We'll walk through the essential elements every business needs to address before catastrophe strikes. A box of tapes or backups in the cloud is not a DR plan. I'll even share a crazy story from the early days of my IT career that taught me the hard way why a documented recovery plan matter. I, I, I honestly still can't believe what my employers did that day. I'm W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I've sat where you're sitting. I want to turn you and everyone like you into a cyber recovery hero. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Welcome to the Backup Wrap-Up. Support for this podcast comes from Sullivan Strickler. Are you a Source One customer trying to decide what to do since Dell announced its end of life this year? One big problem is that the Source One UI is not designed for such mass migrations, making them slow and costly. The good news is Sullivan Strickler has figured out how to extract data directly from the Source One database, much faster and less expensive than the alternatives. For a detailed report on your options, go to backupwrapup.com slash source one. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, and I have with me a guy who is awaiting the results of my battery test as much as I am, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Curtis. Yes, I am dying to understand, like, do you have any degradation in your car? Because you sort of ran into an issue last week, right? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, I killed my battery in my Tesla. And I'm currently running a, a battery test. And I will I will just say this. It's it's not it's clearly not designed for like the for me. Uh it's it's actually something inside service mode of the Tesla and you have to like go into super secret mode or whatever to do it. And um, you know, it's okay that I'm that I do it, but I will just say that the UI is really crappy. Yeah, like, it's not intended um, for you. I, it's intended for a service technician. Yeah, and so like it finished, you know, it discharged uh, to thirteen percent last night, which I thought it was going to go like closer to zero, and then it charged overnight, and now it's doing something. Last time I checked, like you said, it's probably measuring voltages and whatnot. But like, there's nothing on the screen that says doing something. The only way you can do is you can say, hey, show me the report of the battery test. And it could go, you haven't done a battery test for 500 miles. <laughs> and um, and so it's like, oh, I guess it's still running. Like, it's just a really weird user interface. But, yeah. Um, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. But I'm excited. Crossing my fingers. Um, at least you'll get some data. Yeah, absolutely. Data, data, data's king. Mm -hmm. So, uh, speaking of data, let's talk about the news of the week. I'm going to say the big story that jumped up. You know, whenever we do this, I, 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 I Google backup news and I see if anything pops up. And the thing that the thing that popped up was kind of a big deal, and that is that there are fifty thousand WordPress sites that are affected by a critical bug in a backup plugin called Backup Migration that helps 
admins automate site backups to local storage or to a Google Drive account. And um, it's a scary, it's a scary little uh, uh, bug, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, especially because most of these backup tools, of course, need admin level access. So if you have a flaw in that, of course, someone who exploits it now has full access to everything. Yeah, and this was scary because it says it, it, it you can do it without uh, user interaction. You can, uh, and, and once you do it, you gain uh, basically full control of the site. Um, and uh, it says... Um, Basically, they just have to pass the right values to the right thing, and poof, they end up controlling your site. The first, you know what the first thing I did was, right? Check, check to make sure you're not running it. Yeah, that's exactly because I knew I had a migration plugin because I made I migrated Backup Central from um, one. Well, it's actually within the same company, but I migrated it from essentially from one server to another server not that long ago, and I used a migration plugin to do it. And I saw that word backup migration. I was like, wait, was it, was, is this the one I used? Right. And, uh, and it wasn't. So, um, I, but I, but I, then I, I took the moment. I realized that the migration plugin that I used was still installed and activated. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and install that. Yeah. Now, uh, the one good thing is once the developer was aware of this issue, they pat, they had a patch available within a couple hours, which is good. Yeah. Right. They were very responsive. However, now they just need to make sure that all the sites get updated who are using the plugin. And that's, I think, the bigger challenge. Yeah, it really is the bigger challenge, especially given that uh, the, the developer doesn't mention anything about this on the uh, WordPress.org plugin website. So I'm a little disappointed in that. But, you know, um, I don't know what to say about that. But yeah, so I, I'll just say that I'll just put it as a general note, if you do have a WordPress site or, you know, whatever, if you have a website, look at any, you know, any plugins that you have. Like in this case, I really should have deactivated this migration plugin a long time ago. Make sure that any plugins that you have that are running, you actually need them, deactivate them uh, and remove them uh, if you're not. Yeah. So um What's our next uh, news item? So the next news item is Veeam just came out with their big launch, and they've mm -hmm. basically doubled down on a lot of cybersecurity-related features, and I thought maybe we could talk about some of those. Yeah, there are a lot, um, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, some of them you might expect, right? The idea of, like, inline malware detection, right? Detecting the malware as it's coming in in the backup looking for a file system activity that looks a little weird, right? That, that would include, or that would include things like, hey, there, somebody's uh, appears to be changing a lot of files, changing the file names, different file types. You never had this file type. And where you see that is if you see an encryption attack, they tend to create a file type as the encrypted files have their own file type. And they're also integrating with uh, EDR and XDR tools and SimSort tools. Uh, which that sounds pretty yeah. good. So they're also yeah. integrating with ServiceNow to, it's sort of looking at, hey, here's another part of your environment that we could potentially detect bad activity. So let's make sure we're plugging into your existing infrastructure tools rather than you having a report somewhere else that you rarely ever look at, right? That then you're like, oh, I saw that my backup system noticed this like 30 days ago and I'm just starting to see that now. So I'm glad they're integrating into the rest of the environment. Right, the reporting environment, which makes sense, reporting and monitoring. 
One thing from that list that I did like, and I know, Curtis, you talk about this a lot, is I don't know if you saw it, there's mention of four eyes, right? So now in case you need to make certain modifications to backup settings and other things like that, you basically need two admins or four eyes in order to do those sort of operations. So this helps in a lot of the ransomware cases where a ransomware actor gets in and they basically change the backup policy, change retention down to one day, and then all your backups are gone. Right. So these sort of things yeah. could potentially now require having four, uh, two people in order to be able to do that. Yeah, I like that. I also like the integration uh, with Yara. Uh, so basically, once you've identified some malware that you have, they can find that malware and get rid of it in your backups, which that sounds great. Uh, they got KMS integration. They got a lot. I mean, it's just like there's really too much for us to cover in in this level of in this level uh, of report. Um, but we'll link, then, include you know, some links to the right? articles, to the websites, and places you can yeah. go look to see more details. But I'm glad that there yeah. there's so much focus though on cyber security, just given what we see in backup environments with ransomware and other threat actors going purposefully after those backup infrastructure. Yeah, uh, there's a great blog from Jorge de la Cruz. Uh, we'll we'll link to that. I think probably be the it lists all of them and sort of explains why you know why the different features are important. So that is the news of the week. hope you enjoyed the news or maybe you didn't enjoy it because you uh maybe there was bad news in there for you i don't know on our continued series of uh backup to basics we're talking today about dr plans and today we're going to talk about what goes into a dr plan and um you know because one of the things you you may have heard me say uh you know is is uh, although this, this phrase is now pretty dated. A box of tapes is not a DR plan. Uh, a, a, bunch of, a bunch of backups in the cloud is also not a DR plan, right? You're like, oh, I got, a, I got all my stuff up in S3 with object lock turn on. Good. Now right? what? But um, yeah, now what, right? So um, the first thing here that I've got, uh, you know, you need to assume that you're starting from scratch. If you're doing a disaster recovery plan, I will say that the most likely reason today that you're going to be actually using your DR plan is that you had a ransomware attack, but that you cannot assume that. And also you cannot assume, depending on decisions that hopefully you made well in advance, you cannot assume the first thing that should be in a DR plan. And that is that you know where you're competing and infrastructure is going to come from, right? Uh, why, why would that not be the case, right? You got a ransomware attack. They didn't blow up your servers. They didn't set them on fire. Why might not you have servers to restore? Because to? those servers you might need to preserve for forensic purposes to really figure out what's going on. You don't know if you can cleanly delete everything on them, start from scratch. It's probably going to take you more time to do that. Although one can argue, given sort of supply chain issues right now, that maybe it'll be less time to do that than to actually buy new servers, have them drop ship to your data center. But uh, not saying that's the only option for you. I'm personally in the, yes, you need to take a forensic copy, right? So that's, a, that's one of the first things you, you, you want to do is take a forensic copy of any servers that it appears have been affected or infected. The 
I'm personally a wipe and restore person, right? Um, you know, everybody there, there, other people have different opinions on that, but I, I think you, you've struck on it a pretty good one, the supply chain, which is another reason why perhaps where your computing infrastructure come will come from in a DR is the cloud, right? It, but it, just the make it, it could, right? And I think for a lot of mm-hmm. cases that makes sense. But I know, for instance, if it's like a mission critical application for your business that you cannot lose, I'm pretty sure even before you get hit by a ransomware, you should already have a DR plan in place. Maybe that implies sort of replicating to another co-location facility that you have equipment already set up, ready to go. Right. So you don't necessarily yeah. have to worry about the procurement I, process, but yeah, I think, I think that'll be a running story here. Right. Basically the whole point of the DR plan is the second word, <laughs> right. Is the plan part, right. The, hopefully you're doing this. Um, yeah. You know, the um, you want to take the next one here. Yeah. So the next one is uh, thinking about once you now have your disaster recovery site up and running, how do you protect it? Because you've failed over, you've recovered to that environment, your production applications are running there. You need to make sure that you have a way to protect it in case you need to worry about how do I restore from a backup or something else happens while I'm running in that disaster recovery site, because that's literally your only copy of data. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, and some people say, oh, gee, Chris, you know, like, you know, why are you talking about backups? We haven't even got to the restore yet. Because make sure that you have put this as part of your plan. Make sure that once you have that, you are now immediately going to start backing up. Don't be the person that got the environment up and running and then something else bad happened, right? Because there could be, for example, a second part. There could be a second wave of a ransomware yeah. attack. Um, so, yeah, make sure that you've got that that replacement, the, the backup and, um, of the replacement bar. And, and, and Curtis, I guess the question for you mm-hmm. is when you talked about failing over, like potentially using cloud as your infrastructure, make sure if that mm-hmm. requires using a different backup solution that you are trained on it, you've procured it, right? You know how to use it because mm-hmm. you need to start protecting if you fail over into the cloud. Yeah, great, great. So if you're if you're currently have an on-prem infrastructure and now you're using cloud as your uh, recovery mechanism, then make sure you already know how to protect yeah. the cloud, right? Uh, because it, the cloud is not magic. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just somebody else's computer. Um, so the next is about recovery requirements, right? If we are making a plan, then you need to know what your requirements are. What are where, What is your RTO and RPO, your recovery time objective, and your recovery point objective? Isn't it zero, zero for everything? We, yeah, zero. Well, you, yeah, th- this is, you know, I, I think we've done an entire episode on how to come up with the RTO and RPO. The, um, the challenge there, you know, when, when you go to somebody, when you, when you go to a business owner, because, as we often say, this is not; these are not numbers that should come from you. They should come from the businesses, the business units, the uh, or whatever it is you call it in a, in a governmental world. Um, you know, the the business units that are going to be affected by the disaster. They should be the ones who come up and say, "Well, uh, you know, these are our requirements." And yes, every single one of them, when you ask them, they will say zero and zero. <laughs> 
And then you come back to him and you say, okay, well, we can do zero and zero. It's going to cost $1 billion. <laughs> and, and then they go, oh, well, we can't afford zero and zero. So what can you afford, right? And so you, you work, you know, but you, you, you have to know what your RTO and RPO are going into uh, doing a disaster. And you also set the expectations uh, that way too, right? Because now everyone signed off before the disaster happens that yes, in order to recover this application, because I'm willing to spend X amount of dollars, <laughs> I expect that it will take 12 hours or 24 hours or whatever it is. And that's what we've all agreed to and signed off on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing to just remember about RTO, especially RTO, is that that's fully functioning restore, you know, of the environment, right? So that means that the application was working here and now it's fully the application that I need and the other applications that it needs, those are all running and functioning. It doesn't just mean the restore. A lot of people focus on just the restore and just remember that that's literally only one part of the- of yeah. the, uh, and, and when you say restore, of restore the of the data, right? The restore of the data, right? Yeah. Well, even restore of the, you know, the yeah. server and getting the server up and running. You're like, okay, the server's up and running, right? Is the application Function. up and running, yeah. right? Uh, which may, which may re require, um, you know, with other uh, other applications, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Which is a great way to um, lead into the next one, which is, what yeah. are your recovery priorities? And prerequisites, because like you mentioned, Curtis, in order to get this application functioning, I might need five other applications to also be up and running. So I need to make sure that those five are up before I can ensure that this application is up and running. So understanding the dependencies and also the priorities, like is Curtis's laptop the most important thing in the business to bring up and running? Or is it really our billing system? right? Or our e-commerce site, right? And so understanding what is critical to get the business running is important because you're not going to have time to bring everything up at the same time. Well, if you were following Curtis's usual suggestions, you weren't using Active Directory for your backup server. And so the only thing that you need to get into the backup server is a password manager that's running on <laughs> Curtis's laptop. I'm going to say yes, Curtis's <laughs> laptop being stored is the what most, happens if Curtis's uh, laptop crucial. is infected with ransomware and encrypted? Well, then you're screwed, right? That's just <laughs> that's why that's what we we had it. We had a good episode yeah. on that, right? The you know restoring from from yeah. nothing, right? How do you how do you go from nothing? Um, the um, the next one uh, is about people. <laughs> this is an interesting one because. Um, you can look at this, uh, you know, basically how, how will you get to people, right? Um, you need to prepare for a number of eventualities. One of them are that the people are either not available, alive. Not available, I think is a, right. They're not, well, they're not, a, they're not alive or they're not, they can't access your environment, yep. right? So depending on what we're talking about, especially in this remote, world that we live in now, right? Where a lot of people are working remote. The first thing you need are, you know, uh, people that can do, you know, the, the people at the keyboard. Yeah. So um, how will they get to that keyboard? How will they, um, you know, well, how will they get yeah. to that keyboard? Or, or a virtual so what keyboard. What you're talking about is or a virtual keyboard, right? Um, 
the um, how how will that happen, right? And you need to include all the things that could happen. If you live in a, you know, if we're talking about natural disasters that you're protecting from, you need to say, oh, well, the roads are out, right? The roads in between A and B are out. The roads are where they're snowed over. Uh, we had a flood and you can't get from A to B. So these are things that you need to take into account. I think there's a great episode there where we have the we interviewed the the guy that was, you know, the 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 guy on the ground for that disaster at the Caribbean island. And uh, he talked about all the the critical infrastructure that was not available yeah. to him. Or figure um, out where to sleep and, or um, eat, right? It's like all those things. Yeah, yeah. You remember yeah. he yeah, and and also speaking of the people, you you do need to figure that out. Thanks for bringing that up. Is the uh, you once you get the people in, they're probably not going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> so so figure out where they're going to um, sleep, and also figure out how they're going to eat, and you know use the yeah. bathroom, showers, uh, hopefully at some point. Um, and one yeah. of the things I don't know if where it falls under, maybe it's like part of the infrastructure ones. Maybe it's part of the people one. Do you remember the episode about the derecho that hit and the land hurricane? Right. Yes. And one of the problems, and I can't, unfortunately I can't remember the guest's name, but one of the things he mentioned was they had no internet connectivity. So he literally sent right. people to the next town over so they can sit in a Starbucks, connect in and manage their infrastructure and systems because no one in that area had access, internet access. Yeah. Um, and we'll just go to a Starbucks is probably not a good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they actually went know, to a Starbucks, thing to but put in your plan. So, no, I'm just yeah. saying that's what he did uh, because that was his only choice. Uh, just make sure you you, you figure that yeah. aspect out. That figure that aspect out. Um, you know what? Uh, and then oh, we have and that, just we, another quick thing uh, is also realize that the people you're relying on, they might have other priorities as well. For instance, if it's an earthquake in the local region, maybe they're taking care of family. Maybe they're dealing with other things. I know we had the episode with the person talking about the FEMA response, right? To and how to prepare yourself for disasters. Right. And that's something that we don't always think about, but you should also take into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. You mean people don't prioritize company <laughs> above all else? We would like to think that, but yes, real life happens. Yeah. All right. You get the next one. All right. So the next, and I like this one, Curtis, because I always have a, I always remember your story you tell, and it's really how good is your documentation? Right. And only as because like we talked about people if people aren't there right who can now operate and make sure and recover your environment or if people are there who created it who's the one who's coordinating and making sure okay are all the steps in order to bring up this application i need to go talk and make sure that these five other applications are up and running that i have the networking there that i've already pre-configured the compute right there's a whole bunch of steps and so making sure everything's documented because the last thing you want to do is have a disaster and be like, oh, I forgot steps four and six, and those are critical for bringing up this application, and sitting there and trying to troubleshoot in the midst of a crisis. Yeah. Um, this was something that was basically pounded into me very early in my career. The bank that I worked with um, had, um, you know, the, you had to have, because it was a bank, the, the SEC would you know, required us to, to do these things. Right. And, uh, we had documentation and I remember a fight over what the documentation was going to be created in the, the, the company standard was word perfect. 
and we had this one guy that really liked Microsoft Word. Uh, we all know that how that worked out. I mean, Word, Word uh, took over, but and that was like he's like we're perfect stakes, and you know, Microsoft Word is so much better, yeah. and we're like it doesn't matter. You got to do the documentation in the format that we yeah. <laughs> that we use, right? And um, and part of that was well, a big part of that was that we were a like not everybody had a like a, nobody had a laptop, but not everybody necessarily had a, a desktop that ran Windows where you could run these things. We actually used WordPerfect because it ran on Unix-based infrastructure, right? Uh, and we could do shared documentation. So, yeah, the important thing is to write this documentation and test it, test it, test it, test it, and make sure that you that you have other people that yeah. test the documentation that you wrote because they will find the things that you left out. Um, also make sure to think about how and where you keep this documentation. Do not outrule the idea of making multiple printed copies of that, of that documentation. The downside of that is, you know, you got to kill a couple of trees every time you update it, but, uh, maybe use loose leaf notebook so that you can, uh, easily update a section of the plan if you change it, but, uh, and have it in multiple formats like PDF and, you know, have it available in places where you can easily access it. Uh, paper online, maybe even you know, and and a a, a a truly online, like not anything in your in your infrastructure, something in the cloud somewhere where you can possibly get it. Just make sure all of that stuff secure. is, you know, authenticated yeah. and secure. And, and all don't that, put right? passwords in that documentation, please. And don't <laughs> put passwords in that documentation. Exactly. Um, another thing uh, here that I've got is, you know, how much of this DR runbook that you have, how much of it is document is uh, is automated? Because the more you can automate, the more that a disaster recovery uh, actual execution is going to work. And um, you know, so the question is, in that DR plan, just make sure you understand that level of automation that you have or don't have uh, and continually strive for more automation, you know, because a two things, one is you're, you're more than likely to have a successful recovery if you have automation. And second, it makes testing the recovery a, a whole lot easier. Again, I'll go back to when I used to have to do this in the field. And what we did was we, we threw, you know, we blew away a, a weekend right? We'd have to come in at early Saturday morning and we would start the disaster recovery test. And basically it took the entire weekend and it was hell, right? It was just like, and, and basically the worst part was the, there were two things that really stunk about it. One was if you were the one at the keyboard, super high stress, yeah. right? Or if you were me, it wasn't me at the keyboard, but I was back there. I was the one that had written the documentation <laughs> that they're following that hopefully works. Uh, and then you got the boss and they're stressed out whether or not this is going to look, you know, yep. whether or not this is going to work because then they'll look good or bad. Um, and then meanwhile, you got a whole bunch of other people that are just, <sighs> this is so boring. <laughs> they're just standing around <laughs> just in case they're needed, hoping that they're not needed, but they're just, you just know, in case while standing around. And we didn't have, we didn't have YouTube either. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you needed to, you needed to bring a book. <laughs> Uh, to have something to do. So here's a question, Curtis. So from your documentation, from this experience at the bank, and I'm guessing yeah. that a lot of it was probably more manual than automated, just given the timing. Yeah, there's yeah. no automation. Um, 
Yeah. How often were you successful at really running through your entire DR playbook? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but so I think it's useful. Yeah. So if you define success as we had the documentation, someone other than Curtis followed the documentation, and we got to the end of that recovery without having to consult Curtis on what he really meant by this sentence, the answer is never. Yeah. Right. So the goal of every DR test was to, um, you know, was to help essentially make the, the documentation better. And um, the only way really to do that is to do it, you know, to fire it in anger, as yeah. we say. Right. Um, and and so we just we just set that that was our um, we, we considered that a success if we found something that we yeah. could fix. Better right? to do it while testing um, rather than in when you it, need it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was always successful in that we always restored all the data that we were supposed to and the applications that we were supposed to restore uh, because my backups worked. <laughs> dang it. Uh, but uh, it was not successful by that other yeah. metric. And I think this goes to the last point in the plan, right, which is make sure that it has been tested, right? Because only because you guys were doing this periodic testing, did you realize, hey, there were some issues with the documentation or in other cases, there might have been issues with uh, I know when we had the episode with the disaster on the island in the tropics, right, um, that one of the issues they had was they had satellite connectivity back to the mainland to the US and that's where their mm -hmm. active directory infrastructure was running. And so when they got hit by this hurricane, they lost connectivity, which means that their systems weren't functioning. And yeah. so if they had done that sort of testing, they would have realized it earlier on and been able to have a solution rather than putting a person on a plane with some backups of Active Directory to fly out to the island to then do the restore so they can get up and running. Yeah, testing, 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 right? And this, and again, this is why I like automation is you can test... You can, the more you automate, the more often you can test and the yeah. more, you know, you can know that things are actually working. Um, but, but yeah. I, there, there, there's just no substitute yeah. for testing. But I think one of the things to realize is you don't need to strive for 100% automation. It's okay in your first versions to have a bunch of things manual right. and improve on it over time because you don't know if the audit, like what to automate until you've actually done the manual process and laid it all out. So start somewhere, have something there, and then figure out, okay, what are the pieces I can start automating? How should I automate it and all the rest? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a, absolutely. Do you have yeah. a recommendation on how to test? Because I know sometimes testing is expensive from an infrastructure perspective. I know you went in on a Saturday when the bank was closed, right? Or they it wasn't as busy and so you were able to do the testing a lot of people don't necessarily have the infrastructure in order to be able to do these periodic testing because you probably at least want to test your dr environment at least once every couple of months just to make sure you're not missing anything and all yeah. the rest so is there a better way people can do dr testing well i think this is a great time to discuss like my opinions about the use of the cloud if at all possible right the more you can utilize the cloud the more it can basically set aside some of these uh budget constraints you're still going to need to take time and there's there's um 
there's nothing I can tell you there other than that, you know, a backup in DR that hasn't been tested isn't really a backup yeah. in DR. And uh, you, you, you just won't know if it's any good until you really, really, really need it. And uh, please don't do what we had the one guest do where he wiped out his entire yeah. data center and then, and then did the restore. Oh my ah, Lord. That story just gave me like a heart attack. Um, yeah, I would say use the cloud as much as possible. I realize it's maybe not possible for everything, but, um, you know, um, yeah. Another thing that you can do is you can use new infrastructure to test the recovery of current infrastructure, right? Like, so before you put a particular set of, like if you're buying physical servers, before you buy, before you actually put those servers into production, consider using those servers to conduct DR tests. That's a thought. I don't know. Do you have any other, other ideas on I that? I think, yeah, that's pretty much it. I know it gets expensive. And I think that's one of the things that people sort of are like, oh, it's so costly from a time and money perspective that they don't necessarily know how to approach it. But I do like what you talked about. Try to leverage infrastructure you could spin up and spin down quickly that doesn't require you to own it and manage it the entire time. Makes sense. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll finish with uh, telling the story that you alluded to earlier. And that is uh, go back um, about uh, 29 <laughs> years. And I was, uh, I was in the, you know, I was working at the bank. I had all the documentation I had for restores. It wasn't a DR per se, but it was a recovery of a critical app. And uh, my daughter uh, had just been born and I was in the hospital um you know, with my wife, you know, you know, the whole classic thing of like father, daughter, you know, son, daughter, brand new baby there. And you're, you know, you're having that wonderful moment. And the phone in my wife's hotel room rang. Um, again, for those of you that are, are born in this world, this was a world where we didn't have cell phones, right? Uh, you met the hospital room. And I had left my you met the hospital room. What's right? that? Hotel room. Say? Did I yeah. say hotel room? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were, uh, yeah, so no cell phone. And I had even left my beeper behind, right? That was the way that you got in touch. I'm like, I'm going to see my daughter and my wife. I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't need the beeper. Uh, and what had happened while I was gone is that there had been this, like, really big restore that had gone down. And they called me in my wife's <laughs> hospital room. <laughs> Right, they called the hospital because they knew the hospital because the hospital was literally within line of sight <laughs> to the to the bank where I work uh, where I worked. Right, this was Christiana Hospital in Newark, Delaware, because uh, I was at what at that time was MBNA and it was just literally right down the road. And the the phone rang and and I answered it and it was somebody from the bank and they wanted to know if I could help them with this restore that you know, they were doing. And I said, well, did you, did you like look at the document? Cause I made, I, I made such a thing yeah. about documentation, right? Did you look at the documentation and was there a problem with the documentation? Did you, you know, is there something, a question that I, you know, that I, that I need to answer. And they basically started, uh, they started saying, well, no, I hadn't really looked at the documentation. I just called you first. 
and I just, I just, I I just, just like, I can't believe that you just called me in my wife's hospital room just after she'd given birth to our first child because of a stupid (laughs) restore, no matter how, you know, you know, without even looking at the documentation. This is why you need to have documentation. This is why you need to make sure it's followed. But of course, if you've got stupid people that don't want to read it, there's not much you can do. (laughs) But um, all right. Well, uh, as always, thanks a lot, Persona. Thanks, Curtis. It's always fun. And uh, thank you to the listeners. We'd be nothing without you. That is a wrap. The Backup Wrap-Up is written, recorded, and produced by me, W. Curtis Preston. If you need backup or DR consulting, content generation, or expert witness work, check out BackupCentral.com. You can also find links from my O'Reilly books on the same website. Remember, this is an independent podcast, and any opinions that you hear are those of the speaker and not necessarily an employer. Thanks for listening.